0: Today on The Matt Show, many parents are finally calling for greater transparency in the classroom and more control over what sorts of things their children are taught. If that's the goal, and it should be, then why aren't there cameras in every classroom in the country documenting everything that teachers do and say to their students? Uh, we'll talk about that today. Also, five headlines, including the media, marks the six-month anniversary of January 6th. As we get further and further away from that event, their retelling of it gets more and more dramatic and absurd. Andrew Cuomo also declares gun violence a public health emergency. And Joe Biden wants to go door to door to get people vaccinated. That's not creepy at all. In our daily cancellation, we'll discuss the orgy of ungrateful whining and complaining that accompanied July 4th this year. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, if you're uh, someone of an advanced age like myself at 35 um, or if you're, you know, if you're if you're older than like my kids, then you you probably have many memories from your childhood that are documented on antiquated technology, camcorder tapes, physical pictures, um, those sorts of things. And and the problem is that those kinds of uh, memories, the memories fade and the things that you're storing them on also can be destroyed and lost and left in boxes and all kinds of things. That's why you've got to rescue them and bring them into the 21st century and Legacy Box can help you do that. Legacy Box is an effortless way to have your outdated media preserved in a modern format. And right now they're offering 40% off so you can ensure your memories are safe for generations. Legacy Box is a way for you to easily and affordably digitally preserve your past. Process is so easy from start to finish. You pack and send the stuff. Um, Their team digitizes everything by hand and then they send it back to you and you have it. And that's it, I said it was easy and it really is. You can send your precious recorded moments to a company that you can trust. Legacy Box is the world's largest digitizer of home, movies, and photos, and has helped more than a million families preserve their past. So, right now, Legacy Box is offering 40% off so your family can celebrate meaningful moments at a fraction of the normal price. Visit LegacyBox.com Walsh to get started today. That's LegacyBox.com Walsh. For 40% off, LegacyBox.com slash Walsh. Uh, welcome again to the show. Before we get started, just wanna remind you that you know the best thing that you can do today to help me and really to help yourself is if you're watching this on YouTube, remember to hit like and subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, remember to, uh, uh, to subscribe, but also to leave a five-star review if you like the show. And even if you don't like it, still leave the five-star review because it makes me feel good about myself. But more importantly, it helps the algorithms and all that kind of stuff. And that is, again, it's the most important thing you could do today. The other most important thing is you can listen to what we're gonna talk about to start the show. Um, you know, if you wanna take a trip let's say. And you can't bring your precious poodle along for the journey. You can always hand them over to your local dog boarding facility. Here in Nashville, for example, one fine option is a place called Camp Bow Wow. And if you go to Camp Bow Wow, unpaid endorsement here, you'll find a feature on the website that has become nearly ubiquitous at these sorts of places, a live webcam. And through this function, a customer is able to tune in anytime and see how their pooch is being treated and and, and cared for by the staff. They also might just be curious to know what little Fido or whatever is up to and how he's getting along with all the other hairy, mangy, slobbering beasts. There are many potential reasons why a dog owner might want to have this kind of access. And it's hard to imagine any real downside to it. What's the, we can imagine some advantages to having the uh, webcam. What's the disadvantage? Everyone agrees that there is probably too much surveillance going on in our society today. But most of the bad sort of surveillance is the kind where we are being watched, often without our knowledge, by people who have no right or reason to be watching us. Most of us agree, though, that surveillance can be good and has a place when it enables us to see what's happening with and to something we care about, like our dogs or our money, which is why nobody complains about bank tellers being closely monitored. Bank tellers today have cameras all over the place focused on every little thing they're doing. Does anyone have a problem with that? Daycares, human daycares, I mean, also have cameras for this same reason oftentimes. It's not that we actively distrust the staff at the dog boarding place or the bank or the daycare. If we actively distrusted them, we wouldn't be sending our dog there or our money there or our kid there. Um, It's just that these people are handling very precious cargo. And transparency and accountability are therefore urgently important. You would certainly be quite suspicious of a dog boarder who steadfastly refused to put up cameras. I mean, it's one thing if they couldn't afford it, but if they could afford it and said, no, we, we absolutely refuse to do that on principle, you probably wouldn't send your dog there. Or a daycare facility. You know, imagine a daycare facility that said that it wanted, oh, you know, we don't want cameras because we, we want our staff to have more privacy as they care for your toddler. You don't need to see what's happening here. You can trust us. Nothing would make you distrust them more than hearing that. This is all to say nothing of body cameras on police officers. Most people these days support the practice of body cameras and are quite wary of any cop who doesn't wear, them, wear one. And the cameras in this case work both ways. It's why most people support it. They create greater accountability for police officers, which is good because they are agents of the state who necessarily wield unique power and authority. So you need to have accountability. But they also potentially protect cops from any false claims made against them. Just think about where the cop in the Micaiah Bryant shooting would be today if he hadn't been wearing his body camera. Remember, witnesses and media reports claimed that a racist cop, had randomly murdered a helpless unarmed child. It was only because of his camera that we quickly discovered the truth, which is the unarmed child was a teenager armed with a knife and was in the process of trying to stab another teenager to death when the officer fired, saving the victim's life. This is why though police shootings themselves are often controversial, the body cameras allowing us to see these incidents generally are not anymore. In the aftermath of any shooting caught on camera, you rarely hear anyone, cop or citizen, say that they wish we were not able to see it. Now, you hear the opposite. Something happens and and there's no body camera and we all say, well, I wish we could just see this. But nobody ever says, after something like Micaiah Bryan is caught on camera, no one ever says, oh, man, I wish there was no video of this. So this all raises a question. If almost everyone agrees... That we should have cameras to see what dog boarders and bank tellers and cops and daycare workers are doing. Why don't we have cameras to see what public school teachers are doing? If you would not send your dog uh, away for a few hours or a few days without the ability to check in and see for yourself what's happening with him, why shouldn't you have the same sort of access to your own child? If you want this level of accountability and transparency for people who watch our pets and handle our money and care for our toddlers and enforce our laws, why shouldn't we want it? Why don't we want it for the people teaching our kids? The current and, uh, of course, well-warranted backlash against critical race theory in schools represents, I think, something of an awakening for many parents. They finally seem to realize that the school system cannot be implicitly and absolutely trusted to teach children whatever it sees fit to teach them. Parents have a right to know what is being taught and to have a say in what is being taught. These are your kids, after all. Despite the ridiculous arguments put forth by many on the left, and some especially feeble and useless members of the right, teachers don't have a free speech right to say whatever they want to the the children in their classrooms. There's no free speech here. Public school teachers are government employees entrusted to perform a particular task. They do not have the right to deviate from that task whenever and however they like. They don't have the right to stand on their perch as teachers and assume the additional roles of counselor, psychiatrist, parent, spiritual guru. Their job is is important, but it's limited. And parents ought to know whether and how that job is being performed cameras are not the only way to accomplish this task, but they are an important tool. And and though we use them to this end in so many other facets of life, we seem to have exempted public schools entirely. And that simply makes no sense. Now, when I went on Twitter last night to advocate for cameras in the classroom, I was met with intense pushback from many people, including many parents, who apparently don't want to know exactly what government employees are saying to their kids which I find very strange. And one common refrain was that cameras would infringe on privacy and and freedom in the classroom. Now, I understand the privacy objection as it pertains to the kids. As a parent, now, I don't send my kids to public school at all. uh, But if I did, I certainly wouldn't want a live classroom webcam that any person could use to monitor my children. You know, I don't want random Joe Schmo down the street who doesn't even have kids in the classroom watching the, uh, the, the classroom webcam for whatever his reasons might be. They can't be good. Um, so that's, a, that's an objection. But there are easy and obvious ways around this problem. The cameras could be password protected. Only parents with custody of their children are given the code to access the cameras. Also the cameras, here's a really easy thing could just focus on the front of the room capturing just the teacher. Perhaps only the audio would be accessible to parents under normal circumstances with the video being released whenever there's an incident or a controversy like we do with police body cameras. There's also face-blurring technology that could be utilized to protect the privacy of children even more. There are dozens of workarounds which immediately present themselves um, if the concern is over the privacy of the students in the class. That's a, that's a reasonable concern, but we can deal with that. We can get around that. The thing is, though, for most critics of the camera and the classroom idea, the concern seems to be equally, if not primarily, the privacy and freedom of the teachers. And I have no workarounds for that because public school teachers, in their capacity as public school teachers, should have no privacy or I will say only as much privacy as we grant bank tellers. And for the same reason. Now we're not, we're not going to follow them into the bathroom or even the break room with cameras, but when they're on the clock performing the task for which they are paid, they should be monitored closely. If our money is too important to simply trust that the nice lady at PNC will be honest in her handling of it, then how much more important are our children? Of course, the main thing we're looking to guard against is the psychological abuse and exploitation of students through ideological and political indoctrination, which is an epidemic, and it's going on in every single school in the country. And that's one of the primary things that the camera could guard against. That's not the only thing. I mean, keep in mind that according to the Department of Education's own study in 2004, this, again, I emphasize, the Department of Education commissioned this study in 2004, and they found that nearly 10% of students are victims of sexual misconduct by educators. 10%. Now, that amounts to like three or four million victims at any given time. All the more reason for greater surveillance. And like police body cameras, the protection goes both ways. Teachers who are falsely accused of inappropriate actions in the classroom, which happens, can simply point to the tape. Teachers stuck in parent-teacher conferences trying to convince oblivious parents that their little angel is actually a demon-possessed terrorist in the classroom will now have video evidence to prove it. Oh, my, my little junior would never act like that. Oh, he wouldn't. Well, here you go. Hit play. The advantages to cameras in the classroom can be enjoyed by all honest parties. That seems obvious to me. So in the end, it boils down to this question, I think. And you just have to think about this. Is there anything that could happen in a classroom that you absolutely would not want documented on film? Whatever that thing is, it shouldn't be happening in the classroom in the first place. And that's the point. And that's why we need the canvas. Now let's get to our five headlines. <laughs> If you're a a real American, a red-blooded American, hopefully you were doing some grilling over the weekend on a charcoal grill, which is the only kind that I think is morally acceptable. Um, And uh, and if you were doing that, then hopefully you had Moink, which delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon directly to your door, helping family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. And if you didn't have Moink, now you know about them and now you can get them. Their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and Moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, all the other junk that you get in prepackaged stuff. Um, You can sign up at moinkbox.com slash walsh to get a year of bacon for free and then pick what meats you want delivered with your first box. I'll say it again, a year of bacon for free. What else I gotta tell you? You can uh, change what you get each month and cancel anytime, so it's very easy, very affordable. You're getting great product. You can join the Moink Movement today. Go to moinkbox.com/walsh right now, and listeners to this show get free bacon for a year. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K-BOX.com/walsh. That's moinkbox.com/walsh. All right. Uh, so I'm back from from uh, my second vacation. Going on another one in two days. No, th- that's it. I'm I'm here. I'm never going to leave again. Day in and day out, you will never be rid of me ever again. Two things, uh, two quick notes from, not really from the trip. Well, I, I had another long marathon drive of a thousand miles that I did uh, over the course of the last two days. And um, two, two, two just things that I saw that I, that I have to mention to you because to me, they were notable. Um, the first and, and the main thing is, I, I guess a, a shout out I want to give to the town of, I think it was Woodstock, Virginia, right off of, um, right off of, of, uh, of 81. And I was going through this town, and I saw—and I hadn't—I have—it's been years since I've seen this. I saw a Radio Shack, a real live Radio Shack, not a not a museum. It was like a real one with with people inside it, and uh, it was right next to—I kid you not—a video rental store in Woodstock, Virginia. If you don't believe me, you can go. I'm, I'll send tourists out to, of to Woodstock. It's it's worth it just to see this. It's like I went through some sort of time warp. I don't know what happened. Maybe maybe I hit 88 miles an hour. what, what is it? Back to the Future? Is it 88 miles an hour? Or are you go into I, I don't know, but um, and it, it was just amazing to me. And both of these places seem to be in business. And you kids, you don't know about the video rental places. That was a that was a thing for a long time. So you're spoiled these days. Like you don't understand the concept of of, of if you want to watch a movie now, right? or a show, and uh, and Netflix has it, then you just go on Netflix on your computer and you watch it, and that's it. It's, that's all you got to do. But it used to be that Blockbuster or the video rental place, the local video rental place, they, they could have, there's a movie out, and Blockbuster has it, but then you go there, and they don't have it in stock because other people have rented it. So there's a limited supply. It doesn't exist on Netflix. You don't go to Netflix, and, uh, well, 50 people have already rented this movie, so you got to wait. That was the thing. You go into Blockbuster and you want to watch Ace Ventura Pet Detective and uh, 10 other people got there first. And now you can't watch that. And then all hell breaks loose because now you're with your friends or your siblings wandering around the aisles debating what else you're going to get. And a lot of times what they would have is, is, I don't know who came up with these movies, but there would be a knockoff version. Instead of Ace Ventura Pet Detective, there would be like Bob the Dog Finder or something. And you could just go with that, the knockoff version, which was never as good. So I saw that, and that was a lot of fun. Um, And then the second thing that I saw, we have the picture here, which was not as fun. Uh, A rest stop. This was a a rest stop also off of 81, right as you get into Tennessee, at their Tennessee Welcome Center. And I get out of my car, and there is this, I don't know what, it's some sort of, I I, I hesitate to call this, some sort of artwork. That had been put right outside of the Tennessee Welcome. Center. The first thing you see, welcome into the state, and it's this thing here. So the state of Tennessee had a spot available at their welcome center. They said we need some artwork to put here, and they and they went with this. It's just this this mangled mess of random shapes cut out of sheet metal. What is? It looks like some kind of, I don't know. It's like caribou or deer in some sort of. Sexual embrace. I'm not sure what it is. You know, 100 years ago, if you went to that exact same spot, that would be a beautiful sculpture of like some sort of historical figure. And now it's that. Disgraceful. Um, Other than that, it was a fine trip. Okay. Let's move on to uh, speaking of disgraceful. Number one, yesterday was the six-month anniversary of January 6th. And the left in the media—they're really milking this thing. You know, you're milking anything when you're when you're when you're uh, acknowledging the month anniversaries. It's like you do with your first girlfriend in seventh grade. Today's our two and a half month anniversary, babe. That kind of thing. Um, and they're doing that with January 6th now. So now it's the sixth month. Every month we have to mark it. And as we get further and further away from this, the description of it. Becomes more dramatic to the point where now we have this is Matthew Dowd he was on MSNBC former uh, GOP strategist which tells you everything you need to know about the GOP and here he is arguing shamelessly and publicly that uh, January sixth was was not just like nine eleven in fact was worse than nine eleven listen well I absolutely agree
1: with you Joy that I think it's much worse than it was on January sixth it's to much worse than it was in November. It's much worse after January 6th. And part of the problem is, is because, because there's been no accountability, it's given permission to do more of this. And not only is it given permission to just average people out there who might do crazy things, it's allowed the Republicans just to continue this big lie that they've pushed across. I was yesterday, I was in Kentucky. I decided to go to Lincoln's birthplace and his boyhood home. And I was reflecting about it because one of the things Lincoln said was America will never be destroyed from outside. America will destroy itself. And I think that's what I fear about right now. And one of the things, if you think about this, what would happen if after 9-11, we had done nothing? We had done nothing. Right. Think about that. If we had done nothing after 9-11. And to me, though there was less loss of life on January 6th, January 6th was worse than 9-11 because it's continued to rip our country apart and give permission for people to pursue autocratic means. And so I think we're at a much worse place than we've been. And as I've said, I think to you before, I think we're in the most perilous point in time since
0: 1861 in the advent of the Civil War. Worse than 9-11. Not even as bad as, but worse than Uh, 9-11. He acknowledges though, yeah, there was there was less loss of life. There was less. Yeah, that's one way of putting it, in that there were three thousand people killed on nine eleven um across uh three states. And uh and there's so three thousand um versus none. Except for the only the only the only person killed by riot-related violence was Ashley Babbitt. who was killed by, we think, a Capitol Police officer, though we've never been told who it is. But uh, the only reason I say none is that Matthew, D- Matthew Dowd and the media, they don't count her. They themselves have decided that she doesn't count. So as far as they're concerned, none, because they don't acknowledge that. Um, but really, there was one. How, how, how many people did the rioters kill? Zero. 0 0 people killed 3000 000, 0 so it, it is technically correct and, and accurate to say there was less loss of life but uh, to call that an understatement would be itself a an enormous understatement but this is this is what they're doing you know it's it's they they all you need is for the the narrative to metastasize which happens very quickly. I mean, within hours on January 6th, they had settled on this thing of a, it was an insurrection and it was a deadly insurrection. And five people were killed or seven people were killed. The number kind of fluctuated, whatever it was, deadly insurrection. And then very quickly after that, the facts come out and it turns out, well, no, it wasn't a deadly insurrection at all, except for the, uh, the rioter that was killed. In fact, it wasn't an insurrection at all, much less deadly. But it doesn't matter. It does not matter. All they need is the story, and then they can run with the story forever. It's the reason why they still say, hands up, don't shoot. Um, But as dramatic as that was, it pales in comparison to this. Andy Kim, who's a congressman from New Jersey, of course... Uh, he tweeted this, and there's a picture of him holding his cheap blue suit, and he says, six months ago today, I wore this blue suit as I cleaned the Capitol after the insurrection. Now I just donated it to the Smithsonian. January 6th must never be forgotten. While some try to erase history, I will fight to tell, uh, tell the story so it never happens again. Here is one story. And, then, and this, is a whole, this is a whole thread. Then it says, story of the blue suit. Um, he says, when the Smithsonian asked me to donate the blue suit, I thought about how the suit itself is unremarkable, bought off the rack at J. Crew during a holiday sale. I wanted a bright blue new suit to wear to Biden's inauguration. Then January 6th happened. Can we just stop here for a minute? You're going to an inauguration. This is a big thing for you. Obviously it's a big deal. Um, you're a, you're a, a, you're a congressman, you're a state, you're, you're a representative of the country. Can you go and get a tailored suit? I know you can afford it. You're running into J. Crew off the rack and buying a suit? That's embarrassing enough on its own. Um, And then he continues. Then January 6th happened. I woke with the news of the winds in Georgia. I decided to wear the blue suit. I bought it to be a suit of celebration. And I thought, what better way to give the suit meaning than to wear it when I confirmed the electoral college and then later to the inauguration. A suit of celebration that you spent $72 on in clearance. Come on. Um, and then he goes on. I can't even read this whole thing. While he goes on for a while talking about how he wore the blue suit. And then there was the quote unquote insurrection. And then um, he helped to clean up a little bit. He picked up some old, uh, just some, some like plastic bottles and stuff that had been left there. And he put those in a garbage bag. And it was this heroic moment of uh, by Andy Kim, and now he's giving his suit to the Smithsonian. He's giving it to a museum, <laughs> and I'm I'm a big fan of the Smithsonian. I'm a big fan of museums. Just think about how confused future generations are going to be when they go to the Smithsonian and they see all of this remarkable, his, his, you know, these, these remarkable historical artifacts, and then they just see someone's cheap suit from J. Crew hanging there. You would almost think, like, did someone take this off and leave it here by accident? What is—is is this even an exhibit? What is this? Oh no, this is the suit he was wearing when some people trespassed in a building that he was in. I got to tell you, I was in—you uh, know—I I was once in a building um, where there was trespassing that happened a few years ago, and uh, in, fact, in fact, I was—I was at an Applebee's. Speaking of high class. I was at an Applebee's and I don't know what exactly happened, but some so someone came in and they weren't supposed to be there. I don't know what exactly, but they, but they got kicked out. Maybe they were drunk or something. And um, and I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget the trauma that I experienced from that. And so now I'm thinking that I'll take the the flannel and the jeans that I was wearing that day, and I'm going to donate. In fact, I'll donate the flannel to the Smithsonian. Um. My, my pants I'll send on a rocket ship to the moon to have place there in memoriam. My shoes I'll burn and I'll scatter the ashes across the sea so that nobody ever forgets the day that someone got kicked out of an Applebee's while I was sitting there. I almost died. Theoretically. Uh, a lot of a lot of heroism in the world today. Let's go number two here from NBC New York. Says Governor Andrew Cuomo has issued the first in the nation executive order cl- declaring gun violence in New York as a disaster emergency. The first step in a comprehensive plan that aids that aims to tackle the surge in gun violence throughout the state. Uh, the announcement was made at John Jay College of Criminal Justice in Manhattan, in New York, Tuesday afternoon. This is the first step in a comprehensive plan Cuomo outlined, composed of seven key areas, all with the aim of quelling the gun violence surge. The key areas are, quote, treat gun violence like the emergency public health it is. Um, Target hotspots with data and science. What does that mean? This is how we're going to solve gun violence. Target it with science. What are you going to do about gun violence? Uh, Science. What do you mean? You know, science solves everything. Um, Positive engagement for at-risk youth. Number four, break the cycle of escalating violence. Number five, get illegal guns off the street. Number six, keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people. Seven, rebuild the the police community relationship. Just a whole bunch of broad, vague. You might as well say, um, I have one step to solving the gun violence problem. Number one, solve the gun violence problem. How do you put break the cycle of escalating violence as one of the steps on the way to achieve it? That is the goal. Now, how are you going to do that is the question. Oh, you're just going gonna to declare gun violence a public health emergency. Okay, that's really going to help. This, this is part of the, the religion of the left. They believe that every bad thing is a public health emergency um, because everything has to be framed in a sort of sanitized medical kind of way everything becomes a health crisis. It's, a, it's, a, it's a really a medical, scientific issue. And why do they do that? Because they're trying to remove the moral dimension from all of these things. And they think just by declaring something a public health crisis, that that in itself will solve the problem. And in trying to remove the moral dimension, what they're looking to avoid is the reality that gun violence happens just like all other kinds of violence, and there's a lot of it happening in our cities and not all of it involving guns, but it happens because individual human beings make the choice to behave this way. Um, But they don't want to talk about choice. Because when you talk about choice, then you have to ask, well, why are they making this choice? Why are they acting this way? if you got a 17-year-old guy um, out there on the street in, in, in New York or Chicago or Baltimore, and he just goes up and shoots someone dead to steal his shoes or because he's selling crack on, the, on, a, on a street corner where, where, where he would f- prefer to be. Um, yeah, you could blame the gun if you want and say, this is a public health emergency. Or you can ask, what in the world has happened that would, that would lead to this 17-year-old throwing someone's life away and his own life away for nothing. This is someone who does not value life, his own or anyone else's. How do we get there? That's the real disaster emergency. And I'll tell you one of the ways that we've gotten there. You, you want to you talk about the real disaster emergency, quote-unquote, in urban communities, in the cities? It's that almost all of the people responsible for this quote-unquote gun violence don't have fathers in the home. That's not the only thing. That's not the only contributing factor, but it's a big one. You know, when, when you've got 70 80% of fathers choosing not to be in the home raising their own kids... Yeah, you're going to have a gun violence epidemic and you're going to have a drug abuse epidemic and you're going to have a suicide epidemic and you're going to have uh, crime of all kind is going to be an epidemic. If you were to cut that, if even, let's say we're at 70% in the city right now, if we were to make it 45%, or let's say 40%, cut it down by 30%, 40% would still be an enormous number. But you would see magically so much of this gun violence would disappear. But we can't discuss that. That is not in the seven uh, key areas that he outlines, doesn't talk about that. Doesn't talk about how almost all of these perpetrators of gun violence don't have dads. Um, Governor Cuomo, also on the, the gun violence front, tweeted this as well. He said, the gun industry is the only industry in America with immunity from civil lawsuits. It's an insult to victims of gun violence. Today, I'm signing legislation to reinstate public nuisance liability for gun ba- manufacturers in New York State. Um, I thank the sponsors of the bill. Well, that's just, that's just a lie, just so you know. When you hear this thing about how gun manufacturers are, uh, are not liable or they're, they're insulated from, from, from lawsuits or anything, they, they have immunity from civil lawsuits— that is not true. A gun manufacturer can be sued under the same, for the same reason that the manufacturer of any other product can be sued. If you sell someone a product and it malfunctions, it does something that it's not supposed to do and somebody gets hurt or killed in the process, you get sued for that. If I take my Glock 19 down to the range and I pull the trigger and it explodes and kills me, my family could definitely sue them for that. But what you can't do is sue someone or sue the manufacturer of a product if somebody else takes that product and uses it in an an illegitimate and illegal criminal way. That's what you can't sue gun manufacturers for, obviously. If there's an axe murderer running around out there, you can't sue Home Depot because that's where he bought the axe, much less can you sue the, the company that made the axe You can't do that. If somebody buys the axe and they pick it up to uh, cut some wood and the, you know, the blade comes flinging off of the axe and hits someone in the head and kills them, again, you could sue them for that. But if you take the axe and choose to use it in a way that you're not supposed to, um, then you're the one liable. Same for guns. So this is a misnomer. This is a, a falsehood. It's a lie, in other words. Okay, next year, Joe Biden unveiled his plan for getting the holdouts who are not vaccinated vaccinated, and he said he wants to go door to door and find all you people and drag you there by the scruff of your neck. Here he is explaining. Because here's the deal. We are continuing to wind down the mass vaccination sites that did so much in the spring to rapidly vaccinate those eager to get their first shot and their second shot, for that matter, if they needed a second now we need to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oftentimes door to door, literally knocking on doors to get help to the remaining people protected from the virus. Right. Uh, that's not creepy at all. You know, I talked about there's there's good surveillance and bad surveillance. Good surveillance is when it's, uh, it's the citizens, we, the people who are given the ability to to, to see what, uh, uh, you know, government workers are doing, uh, especially with respect to our children. So that's good surveillance. Um, Bad surveillance is something like this. First of all, we should have, we're supposed to have privacy. We're supposed to have medical privacy. Our medical records are supposed to be private. So Joe Biden and his administration shouldn't even know who hasn't gotten vaccinated and who has. That is private medical information. So if the government is accessing that information and then going to your door and knocking on your door and saying you need to get vaccinated, uh, that's a form of surveillance and that's a bad kind. That is Big Brother. I had a lot of people, by the way, going back to that, I, I just, uh, as I said, when I, I put this out on Twitter yesterday about, about cameras in the classroom and, and uh, a lot of people very upset at, at this idea. And that's one thing that I heard is, this is, this is Orwellian, this is Big Brother. A lot of people is, is Orwellian is—that's a term used by people who've never read Orwell. Probably don't even know that his name is George Orwell. Don't even know where the word comes from. No, this this is when citizens are surveilling the state. That is the opposite of Orwellian. Is literally the exact opposite of Orwellian. This is more along the lines of Orwellian. And it's all, it's all completely pointless and useless because, just so you know, um, the people at this point who are not vaccinated, it's not because they don't realize that the vaccinations are out there. It's not because they don't know how to get vaccinated. It's not because they um, uh, no one has given them the information about the advantages of, va- of vaccination. That's not the reason. They know that it's there. They know they could get it. They know that it's free. They know that it's really easy to get. They know that it would take 15 minutes, just go down to CVS and they could get it done. They know all of that, but they're not getting it anyway. Why? For their own, it's their business, for their own reason. They don't want to, they don't feel like it. They're worried about side effects. They're worried about long term, whatever, whatever their reason is. They have a reason and there's nothing you could say to them at this point that's going to change their mind. Unless you really start putting on the pressure. You know, unless you start issuing threats and that kind of thing. Which which uh, maybe is what happens next. Because he doesn't really clarify what exactly will be said uh, when they knock on the door. But I guess we'll find out. One other thing from the White House. This is White House spokeswoman, Jen Psaki, um, speaking out about systemic racism in education history. Let's listen.
1: Nicole Hannah Jones, who passed up a position at UNC, will be teaching down the road at Howard. Um, she said this morning that it took protest, the threat of legal action, um, all this just to get to a nine-four vote. What does Biden make of the UNC process and her decision? And is this an example of the systemic racism that he promised to heal?
0: Well, I have not spoken with the president about the decision on tenure by uh, by the institution in North Carolina. I will say that. The students at Howard are quite lucky to have her as a professor and in their, in their family. Uh, but I think there's no question that um, there is continues to be systemic racism in our country. Uh, we see that uh, in a range of sectors, including in some learning institutions. Uh, but uh, the president that's why the president is continuing to make racial equity and addressing racial equity as a central priority uh, and crisis that he would like to address and focus on as president. This is a great story, by the way. I don't know if you heard about this. Nicole Hannah-Jones, she's the uh, you know the race hustling hack, 1619 um, Project and all that, but she was um, not offered tenure originally by UNC, and uh, she said this is racism and all of that, and she threatened to sue. And then finally, they said, okay, we'll give you tenure. And she said, you know what? I don't want it anymore. And she declined it <laughs> after insisting for so long that it was racism. I want it. You didn't give it to me. Okay, here you go. I don't want it. Just like a child. This is what my kids do this all the time. They're fighting over a toy. Like, I want it. He took it. I want the toy. Okay, here you can have the toy. I don't want the toy anymore. So, Nicole Hannah-Jones did that, uh, which is which is fa- embarrassing UNC, which I which I think is fantastic. They deserve to be embarrassed. Um, and... Uh, Jen Psaki's response to that is that there's this is somehow systemic racism and there's still systemic racism in the education system, which, of course, we have to re- re- say again, she's right. There is systemic racism in the education system. Um, and it's systemic racism that, that leads to a situation where, you know, a white student who is more qualified than a black student might not make it in. And instead, the black student will be in there. Um, because of racial discrimination against the white person. So there is systemic racism in education, but it is anti-white and also anti-Asian racism. But we always have to clarify that because you hear conservatives sometimes say, oh, systemic racism in education, that doesn't exist. And I probably say that sometimes when you you get a little, uh, when you're not being specific enough. No, it does exist. It's just that it's anti-white. Alright, finally, here's an inspiring message I just wanted to share with you. If you're looking to be inspired, this is from Diddy, um, Sean Combs, Puff Daddy. And this got some attention. It's an Instagram post. And there's a video. We'll play the video first, uh, but it's really the caption that matters here. But first, here's the um, here's the video. You can do it, you
1: could be whoever you want. You could be eating Mango too, with the
0: ocean as your backyard. I ain't
1: special. I just want it. I want it bad. You feel me? I'm not gonna allow myself to not have mango. So I hustle hard. You know what I mean? You know, I know I'm going my way. No, nah,
0: baby. <laughs> okay. So he's clearly high as a kite. I have no idea what he just said. There's something about mango and. Work hard so you can have your own mango. I guess I think it's a it's a very mango centric inspirational message, which really you, I think you, you could just go to like Whole Foods or something and get a mango. Really, you don't have to be rich to do that. But um, I don't know if he thinks that you have to fly down to a tropical location to get a mango. You really get them at the grocery store. But anyway, here's the caption is what got, got my attention. He says, "One day when I was growing up, I woke up and there was 15 roaches on my face." At that moment, I said, hell no, I refuse to live like this. Work hard, believe in your crazy dreams, and never settle. Hashtag love. I'm just, 15 roaches on your face? So many questions. Like, first, how does a roach infestation get so bad that you have 15 of them on your face? What is this, fear factor? Were you sleeping on the set of, I mean, how did all of those get on your face? And what were they doing there? Did you smear bacon grease on your face before you went to bed? I don't, and and, and, and here's the, But here's an even more, more pressing question. How did you know that it was 15? It's such a specific number. Did you count them? What kind of person wakes up and goes, oh, no, there's roaches on my face. One, two, three, four, five. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I'm calling shenanigans on this on this roach story. Maybe there was one roach on his face, and it, and it, the story has grown into 15. In five years, he'll be telling the story, and there was there was six thousand roaches crawling all over his body. Who knows? I'm not sure if I believe it. Okay, moving on to reading the YouTube comments. We got to go back uh, far. We got to reach back far in time, almost as far back as when Radio Shack existed, except in Woodstock, Virginia, to find these uh, comments. Uh, on the last show we did on Thursday. But here they are. Um, Diana says, America is so great a country, even those who hate it won't leave. And we have, we have more on, the, on that in the daily cancellation in just a second, but I, I agree with you. Another comment says, it used to be about letting adults do adult things, but now it's pushing adult things onto children. Yeah, that is, that is true. That's, there's a lot of that that happens. And um, the last show we did was about the Washington Post- Editorial from a woman who brought her young children to a gay pride parade so that they could watch uh, kink, so they could be exposed to uh, the, the the fetishism and kink of, of gay men. Um, so in a way, that is children being exposed to adult things. But I got to tell you, the other the other problem I have is is how this word "adult" is now used, because we think, oh, um, th- these were these were men in leather thongs being led around on dog leashes. And well, that's adult. That's that's for adults. Or when you're driving down the highway and you see adult superstore. And this is, so so adult has become shorthand for perverse, weird, bizarre, disgusting, stupid. That's what adult has come to mean. Now, I agree it's adult in the sense that kids should not be exposed to this. Absolutely. But I just, I lament the fact that the word adult has come in. When you see adult superstore or whatever, that should mean that you go in there and there's like Russian novels and comfortable leather chairs and, you know, fancy globes for your office. Like, like that's what we should mean when we talk about, it. it should mean sophisticated, mature, um, well, even mature doesn't work anymore because that word also but sophisticated that's what it should mean intelligent um, but by the just so you know I don't if you do don't you go to the adult store you're not going to find Russian novels um, at least not the kind that you hopefully would be looking for Matt Bertrand says just saying it would probably suck to play Scrabble against Walsh I don't know exactly what you mean about that by that if you mean that I'm a master at Scrabble then you're right if you mean that I'm, I would just be a really annoying person to play board games against because I'm way too competitive and I get really angry when I lose, you'd also be right. Um, and finally, Mrs. Max says, Matt, you flew on an airplane. I thought you canceled and banned flying. Um, I, I did cancel and ban it, but uh, you know, I also canceled and banned birthdays and I still celebrated my own. Because it's, it, I think it should be clear by now, and I, I haven't denied this, that the cancellations... I have my own set of rules. Um, and there, there's the rules for you and everybody else, and there's rules for me. So I did fly. I flew again last week. Oh, that, was one of the, that reminds me of one other thing that happened that I thought was funny. Um, this was last week. I was in the Nashville airport. And this is never, I, I never had experienced this before. I was sitting in the terminal waiting for my flight and this blaring alarm comes on. It's like a foghorn type alarm. And then there's a recording that says, um, there's a fire emergency, please evacuate the building immediately. And the, report, the, the recording keeps playing and the, the alarm is, is blaring and it's really creepy. Um, and then I look around and I don't know if I should be encouraged by this or not, but nobody moves. We, we all just keep sitting there. While this alarm is saying everyone evacuate immediately, we all sit there. No one leaves. So the good thing is there was no panic. This was not a panicky bunch, but also we weren't reacting at all. I know my reason was I was thinking, well, if there's really a fire, I'd probably see smoke. This could be a false alarm. And I don't really want to leave the airport because then I got to go through security again. I got to be on my flight in 30 minutes. just seems like a big hassle. So I'll take my chances here. And then they came on uh, two, two or three minutes later and said that it was a false alarm, and so we were fine. But I just, I just thought that was great how we all completely ignored the alarm. Um, and it worked out. It was a gamble, but it paid off. Sometimes that happens. I am uh, so relieved to be home finally for, for good, never to leave again. Because th- when I'm home, that means I get access to all of my My Pillow products. Uh, our, our bedroom, which is which is which is adorned with all all My Pillow stuff. MyPillow has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. MyPillow didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow, which they did. MyPillow created the new Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for a busy schedule. Uh, MyPillow found the world's best cotton called Giza, It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. And MyPillow sheets come with a 60 day money back guarantee and a 10 year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza dream sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. MyPillow is making a special offer also for my listeners. You'll receive two uh, for one low price. Plus free shipping. You got to take advantage of this now. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square and use promo code DailyWire. Then you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-951-7163. Use promo code DailyWire or go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use promo code DailyWire at MyPillow.com. And... You know, once upon a time, bravery was defined by a man's fearlessness in the face of danger. Today, it's defined by many as rejecting gender stereotypes and wearing a dress. That's what we consider a brave man these days, which I'd argue isn't brave at all. And that means it's time for a hefty dose of true heroism so Americans can uh, remember what what they enjoy, uh, why they enjoy such unparalleled levels of freedom today. That's why in honor of the... Um, of the week of America's independence. The Daily Wire is celebrating real bravery with our newest podcast, America's Forgotten Heroes. The podcast boasts seven episodes detailing the lives of seven legendary men who risked it all for America. Uh, One of those men was Frank Luke, an ace pilot with a tendency to fly alone and disobey orders, who shot his way into history after taking down 17 enemy aircrafts over the course of 12 furious days. And these weren't just any aircraft, they were observation balloons, which were by far the most heavily defended air targets of the war. Uh, Luke's final flight took place when he was only 21 years old, shot fatally by German troops after shooting down three more enemy balloons. So this is a a man who fit more into 21 years of life than most of us will fit into 90 or more years of life. Um, And you want to hear all about this story and so many others. So subscribe now to America's Forgotten Heroes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you might listen because the last episode is out today for a total of seven episodes. Again, America's Forgotten Heroes. Subscribe today. And now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, I spent this July 4th at a lake house, uh, drinking beer, eating copious amounts of meat, watching unsanctioned and arguably unsafe fireworks displays put on by different houses around the lake. At one point, someone's firework misfired, and a ball of flame descended gracefully from the sky, and landed directly on the roof of the house next door. Unfortunately, it was was slightly raining at this point, so no fires were started, though the guy who owned the house was not amused for some reason. My point is simply that I, just like so many of you, celebrated the holiday the way that it was meant to be celebrated, patriotically and joyfully and gluttonously and gratuitously and stupidly. But July 4th for many other Americans is not a time for something so frivolous as happiness. It is rather a time for anger and sorrow. These are the Americans who profess to hate this country, though they choose to still live here, gorging themselves on the bounty of Western civilization while bitterly complaining about the people who provided that bounty to them. Most of these ungrateful, whiny losers can't even really explain why they hate this country so much, as this recent video from Campus Reform uh, demonstrates.
1: Are you proud to be an American? No. I feel embarrassed to be an American every day. Not really in this climate, no, like I'm a black person. So obviously I experience a lot of, uh, you know, there's like oppression that comes with that. Um, n- not most of the time. I think sometimes it's just a little embarrassing. No. <laughs> be proud of what? And What is there to be proud about if you're black and being, like, you know, cause it's just like, it's a, still a lot of stuff that goes on for black people. I think that's a complicated question for me. I think I, I, I think most of the time, no, at least over like the past four years, um, it's been tricky to, you know, love to be an American.
0: Well, like America sucks, you know, because like it oppresses black people or whatever. How does it oppress them? What is the exact nature of this oppression? That's never explained. The people who hate America are like sullen teenagers who go around complaining that their lives are so difficult and miserable, even as they enjoy the easiest and most painless existence that the world can possibly offer to a human being. In fact, those same sullen teenagers crying that they're being oppressed by their parents because they aren't allowed to stay out until 1am on a school night or whatever it is, often grow up and turn into the sorts of adults who cry that they're being oppressed by society or systemic racism or the patriarchy for reasons that are even more superfluous. July 4th has now become an occasion for such people to air their grievances. And while this is annoying and pathetic, it's also illuminating, because in airing their grievances, you're able to see just how stupid are those grievances and how hypocritical and also stupid are the ones airing them. So here's one representative example that is worth, I think, some special attention. This comes from a Twitter account called Lakota Man. Um, His bio tells us that he has a BA in sociology, You perhaps can already guess where this is headed simply based on the fact that this is the kind of guy who brags about having a bachelor's degree in sociology. On July 4th, Lakota Man BA tweeted this. He says, Hey America, F you for desecrating our sacred mountain. Hashtag happy fourth. And it's accompanied by a picture of presumably himself and two other people pointing their middle fingers at uh, Mount Rushmore. Now, many questions potentially arise. Questions like, What sort of person drives all the way out to Mount Rushmore just to flip off a bunch of rocks? I guess it kind of reminds me of the time when I drove four hours to the beach in order to scream at a mound of sand. It's really annoying when sand gets in your shoes. And I just thought it was time that someone finally sent a message. But in any case, more to the point, let's consider the specific complaint that Lakota Man BA has here. He says that America has desecrated his sacred mountain, the Black Hills, by carving uh, the Mount Rushmore sculpture into it. He also says in subsequent tweets that this was land theft and colonization, etc. Now this claim of land theft made by modern Native Americans is almost always specious and hypocritical, but when it's made by someone descended from the Lakota tribe about the Black Hills, the irony is even more pronounced. Lakota man BA says that his people owned the Black Hills. It was sacred to them. The white man ruthlessly stole and desecrated the land that belonged to them. But does that mean that the Lakota were the first to inhabit this region of the country? No, far from it. Before the Lakota, the black holes were occupied by the Arapaho. In fact, the chain of possession during recorded history goes back to the 16th century. And during that time, the land was claimed by the Arapaho, Kiowa, Crow, Cheyenne, and Arikara tribes before we got to the um, the Lakota. And that's only recorded history. Archaeologists tell us that the the very, very first occupants of this region were called the Clovis people about 13,000 years ago. Well, archaeologists did tell us that. Now we're told that the Clovis people came somewhat more recently, and they're predated by another group of people who we know very little about. The point is that the Black Hills, his sacred mountains, are not his at all. His people were not the first to occupy it, not the second, not the third, not the fourth, not the fifth, not the sixth. Indeed, the Lakota came in the 19th century, moved everyone else out, took over, and immediately declared the mountains sacred to them. Like they just got there, killed a bunch of people, and said, these mountains are sacred. Keep something in mind here. When we say that one tribe moved other tribes out of the region, we don't mean that they asked them politely to leave. Okay, they didn't show up with a, with a, with a note and say, well, would you, hey guys, would you mind skedaddling here? Would you, would you mind moving over and giving up some space? Would you mind? That's not how it worked. In Indian culture, war over land was very common and it was very, very brutal. Slaughter, decapitation, dismemberment, rape, enslavement, scalping were all common features of these conflicts. Speaking of scalping, um, the earliest earliest evidence that we have of this practice, to my knowledge, dates to the 14th century in South Dakota. Um, A mass grave from that period has been uncovered and we don't know exactly what happened, but whatever happened, it's been dubbed the Crow Creek Massacre because the human remains uh, show that, that hundreds of people were cut to pieces, scalped, tortured, mutilated, and this is before any white man had set foot on that part of the globe, way before, which means that, um, that, that, that one Native American tribe did that to another. And there's nothing s- especially surprising about that. That's how they treated each other. And that's what they did when they wanted to take the land occupied by some other group. Now, bringing this back to the Black Hills, One Indian tribe conquered and massacred another tribe for access to that land, and then that tribe was conquered and massacred by another, and so on and so on, until finally, not but a century or so before the white man showed up, the Lakota came and did the same, stealing the land from the thieves that had most recently stolen it before them. Then a short time later, in the grand scheme of things, the U.S. government rolls in, and a series of battles are fought over those mountains called the Black Hills War, and the U.S. won the battle. That is... The U.S. conquered the people who had most recently conquered the land. We're left then with the the original question. Who owns that land? If you say that conquest is illegitimate, and it's always wrong to conquer land and overthrow the people occupying it, then you can't say that the the, the Lakota own it because they did the same. And you can't say that the Cheyenne own it or the Akira or the, uh, the Kiowa. So who owns it? Who's the victim of this theft? The Clovis people with their stone tools 13,000 years ago? Maybe we should find some of them and apologize. But they weren't there first either. They somehow came to supplant some other Stone Age people before them, and I can pretty much guarantee you that that supplanting was not peaceful. Very few things were at that point in our history. This is the absurd rabbit hole that you fall down whenever you try to claim that the U.S. stole the land it currently occupies. In order for a thing to be stolen, it must first be owned. But if you say that the most recent Indian tribe who lived on it owned it, then you're legitimizing conquest. And if you legitimize conquest, then there's no reason why the United States' conquest should not be considered legitimate. As I've argued many times, conquest was the way of the world, all over the world, everywhere, among all people for thousands of years. If you wanted it, you took it. If you wanted to keep it, you defended it. If you couldn't defend it, you lost it. If you couldn't take it, you didn't get it. As simple as that. America didn't invent this concept. We didn't even practice the most brutal form of it. Not even close. Today, we're simply blamed because we were better at it. Americans played the exact same game that the Indians played. They observed the exact same rule of conquest, a brutal rule, but a universal one. And they were just better at it. They won. And now we're supposed to be ashamed of that victory and weep over it and apologize centuries later. But apologize to who? The conquerors who were conquered? The thieves who had their stolen goods stolen? That's absurd. I, for one, apologize for nothing. And I'm ashamed of nothing. And I'm happy that America is here. And I'm happy that it won that conflict and that war. I'm happy that this civilization is here. I would rather live in this civilization, and I think everyone would, including the Lakota man, B.A. But anyone who is ashamed of America is free to leave. And on the way out, please just know that you are, of course, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. God bless America, and Godspeed. the show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021.
1: Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Andrew Cuomo declares a disaster emergency on gun violence. Our most powerful institutions have been hijacked by radicals. And our education system is now rife with critical theory of all sorts. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.